Hi guys, welcome back to Fun on Weekdays podcast. If you're new here, my name is Jenna Palak and I'm the host. Fun on Weekdays serves as a reminder that you have to create time during the week to enjoy your life. You have to find that balance between work, social life, friends, relationships, and you should never feel guilty for doing fun things on the weekdays. My podcast highlights people from all different career backgrounds, how they got started in their field, advice, life lessons. We also talk about all of the common things like friendships, dating, and everything that comes with trying to navigate your life as a young professional. But more importantly, how each of us are able to find time aside from work to have fun. It's been almost two years since I started the Fun on Weekdays podcast and almost two years that I have been a full-time content creator, but I realized that I've never sat down to do a full deep dive of the business of being an influencer, how to create a personal brand, and all of the questions that you want to know about taxes, PR, setting up an LLC, healthcare, creating a community, and basically all of the tools that you need to be a successful creator. This past weekend, I went to Dallas for Social Icons, which is a creator conference, and they invited me to be a speaker on their panel about the business of being an influencer. They provided us with a list of around 20 questions. And so today I wanted to answer all of those questions in a podcast for anyone who was not able to attend. So background on me, I had a corporate job for one year. I worked at TikTok in advertising right out of college in 2020. The first question is, how did I get my start as a creator? So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I'll give you a brief rundown. For anyone who's been here for a while, I'm so sorry. I started making TikToks in the spring of 2020 as I was graduating college. I was looking for a job, peak COVID, no one was hiring, and I posted a video. The video went viral and it was about my resume and why TikTok should hire me. Long story short, I got the job. I ended up moving to Austin, Texas, and amidst all of that, I started growing my following on TikTok. I started sharing things like moving across the country from Ohio to Texas, not knowing anyone, making new friends, decorating my first apartment, going on dates. And I was basically sharing every single intimate detail about my life at this time. More frequently than not, you could also find me on TikTok Live, typically doing my makeup, picking an outfit, and heading out for the day to go on my weekday plans. I met majority of my friends moving to Austin through social media. And it was just a really cool way for me to feel a little bit less alone in the time when I was trying to establish myself in a new city. So since starting TikTok, my content has definitely shifted. I don't share quite as much as I maybe used to be comfortable sharing. I used to share a lot about reality TV and just a lot of really random impulsive thoughts. And over the past couple of years, TikTok and its content and its algorithm has definitely changed. So naturally as a creator, I have also changed as my interests and my hobbies have continued to evolve as well. So my creator career really started in like the fall of 2020. Around this time, I had about 70,000 followers and I had not done any paid partnerships on TikTok. I think I had maybe 10,000 followers on Instagram as well. And to catch you up to speed right now, I have 605,000 followers on TikTok and 156,000 on Instagram, I believe. And I'll get to numbers later because the numbers of your followers really don't matter. But just to show you the growth that's happened in the past year and a half, two years. So when I first started creating content and growing a following, I was so dead set on the fact that I was never going to be a full-time content creator. People would ask me frequently, would you ever quit your job at TikTok to do TikToks? And I shut it down completely. 
at the time I hadn't been doing any paid partnerships at all. I had small businesses sending me gifting things like water bottles, stickers, keychains, little bracelets, jewelry, sweatshirts. And at this point, I was really starting to share a lot of these hauls of the small businesses. At the time, it felt like everyone was doing hauls whether they were getting PR or I was going thrifting and I was showing what I bought. From the very start, I never really had a niche. Some people have a specific style video. Some people have a specific topic, a specific hobby. I never really found my start in that way. My mindset always used to be, if you narrow yourself down to just one thing, then you're also narrowing down your audience to just one specific topic. But almost everyone in the world is multifaceted. Everyone has different interests, different things they value and care about. So why not just put it all out there and have an audience of people who all have different interests? Because my beauty videos may not apply to somebody who likes my outfit videos. And the person who likes my outfit videos may not want to watch any of my videos about Austin, Texas, or any of my videos about decorating my house. So if I had to categorize myself as a creator, I'd say overall, I lean more towards lifestyle. I've also found too that being a lifestyle creator has allowed me to work with a huge portfolio of brands across all industries, from CPG to beauty, fashion, health and wellness, entertainment. By not narrowing myself to a specific niche, I also didn't narrow myself to one specific industry that I could do partnerships in. I remember my first paid partnership I did on my own. At this time, I did not have management. So when I first started, I was basically negotiating all of my own rates. I, at this point, was not reaching out to any brands. Brands would DM me here and there, or they would email me that here and there. But again, it, was, it wasn't really a focus in my life at this time. So I wasn't doing any outreach myself. I did this paid partnership because I met this guy at a bar in Austin at Concrete Cowboy. And if that tells you anything, um, yeah, I don't think I ever talked to this guy again, but he got my number. We started talking that night and he was working on developing this dating app. So he wanted me to create two videos for his app. I think he paid me $200 and he paid me via PayPal. So I'm like 200 bucks. Oh my God. Rounds on me. I thought I was like loaded. And then I did a couple other partnerships as well. I worked with Athena club a couple times and I believe that was also around $200 And then Poshmark asked me to work with them. And for that one, I just threw out a number and I said, let's just ask 400 because I know it's a bigger brand and they accepted it. So at that point I was like, whoa, what? I'm worth $400? I had no idea what I was worth as a creator, which I'll get to, but I think it was kind of eye-opening to me that people were making like a pretty decent amount of money from social media. So fast forward about a month and my next paid partnership is for Raising Canes. For this one, they ended up paying me $899, super random rate. And I remember getting that money to hit my bank account and I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Every single time I would text my family group chat and I'm like, this is wild. Like, where is this money coming from? And at that point, I realized that content could be kind of lucrative for me because my full-time job at TikTok, I was making a base salary of $40,000. I was in a sales role, so I made commission every quarter, assuming that we hit our sales goals. And so if we were projected to hit every single goal, I would have made around $70,000. I would have to go back and look at what we actually ended up making, but it was kind of crazy because I would get paid for my biweekly salaried job. And then here and there, I'd make a couple extra hundred dollars. And then from there, things just started to pick up more and more different partnerships, different opportunities, 
And that is really how I got started as a creator. I would say my start as a creator has been a little bit more of a slow and steady burn, which I'm personally perfectly okay with. But I think oftentimes we see people blow up overnight like Alex Earl or Jake, um, Jake from Octopus Lover. Actually, what is his last name? Jake Shannon, I believe. Um, people like them who will blow up overnight and all of a sudden their rates for a TikTok are $70,000. And so when we see how fast these creators can blow up overnight, it can maybe be discouraging to people who have been creating content for years and waiting for that like viral moment. But you have to remember the more that you compare yourself to other creators, the more it hinders you from creating your own content and growing yourself. And I know that because I am very guilty of that. It's definitely easy to compare yourself to other people in the industry, but I just want to reiterate that you can be successful without having this insane overnight viral following. So the second question is, what do I think makes an influencer successful? I think being a successful influencer means that people trust you, they respect you, and they feel connected to you. There is a difference between truly having influence over people versus having a following. And like I said at the beginning, my follower numbers don't really matter because you could have 600,000 followers and you could have the most engaged audience or you could have 10 million followers from going viral overnight from all these people who followed you kind of impulsively and they don't really know anything about you. I see this so often. There are tons of creators with millions of followers, but I think the most successful creators are the ones that are creating a community and you create community by engaging back with your followers, messaging them back, commenting back as frequently as you can and providing them value of some sort. I think it's obviously very easy to measure someone's success with numbers And when we look at content creators, the first numbers that we jump to are their number of followers. But more importantly, above number of followers is your engagement rate. If you look at huge creators who have a million followers on Instagram, go to one of their Instagram photos. They may have 2,000 likes. Or you may look at a creator who has maybe 100,000 followers on Instagram and they're averaging around 25 to 30,000 likes per post. Your engagement rate is what you can really leverage when you're working on paid partnerships. Also, your number of followers has nothing to do with your conversion rates. Your number of views have nothing to do with your conversion rates. You may post a video that has a million views, but you may have sold maybe five items from the product that you're promoting. Or you may have someone who has a very close-knit, smaller, loyal community with 50,000 views, but that video sold 500 units. I think as an audience, you forget that there truly is a business behind every single creator. And those are analytics that you just don't know. So while you can look at someone with millions of followers and assume that they're successful, I guess it really depends on how you measure success. The next question was, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing influencers today? A lot of people will say that it's hard to quote unquote, break through the noise. That is such a common saying, which I just think is honestly kind of weird. I think that there is room for literally everyone. I believe the greatest challenge influencers face is figuring out how to create something larger than their social presence online and how to turn their followers into a community and beyond a community into a brand. I know a lot of people that have huge platforms and they just simply don't know what to do with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people that grew a platform overnight and you never really thought about, oh, this is what I would do if I actually had a million followers. So sometimes that takes time, but I think creating community is the key 
to finding a long-term success as a creator. Because when you build community and loyalty amongst your followers, they're going to follow you to whatever the next platform is. Whenever TikTok is over and there's a new up-and-coming platform, whether it's Lemon 8 or some random new app that has yet to be invented, those people will follow you wherever you go. But you can't just assume that they're gonna follow you because unless you show appreciation and gratitude, and you're engaging back with these people, they're so much less inclined to support you on whatever the next platform is. Or they're so much less inclined to support you when you launch a business or when you have a brand collab. I think a huge challenge is trying to figure out how to be more than just an influencer. If you want that, that's also assuming that a lot of content creators want to do more. Some people don't. Some people love to just post online and they love to just do paid partnerships and they're perfectly okay with that. And They don't want to create anything outside of their online presence. I think another challenge not business related is mental health related. I mean, when your career is your phone and you spend so much of your time consuming content, creating content, reading content, replying to content, the things that you see on your phone begin to hold a lot of value and it's really easy for negative comments or criticism to overwhelm you or trigger you or make you feel insecure or anxious or depressed. And a lot of people will say, well, that's the price you pay when you put yourself online. But like no one deserves to be made fun of for how they look or talk or just sometimes really rude, mean, out of line comments. To me, there's a difference between criticism and a hate comment. Criticism has a solution. Hate comments, you can't you can't fix anything about a hate comment. So prioritizing your mental health as a creator is incredibly important, something I've struggled with and I would say is a huge challenge that creators face. It's almost Memorial Day, May 29th. That's actually my sister Erin's birthday as well. She's turning 28 this year. So happy Memorial Day and happy Erin's birthday. (laughs) This year I was actually planning to go to Tennessee and do a little weekend in the Smoky Mountains, but I don't think it's going to work out. Travel plans have just been so chaotic and I really just want to spend some time at home. I think we'll probably go out on the lake, spend some time with some friends, do a little beach bonfire or something fun, cook out. However, you're celebrating Memorial Day this year. You can find outdoor appliances, home accessories, swimsuits, sandals, sunscreen. Don't forget the sunscreen. And everything you need to celebrate Memorial Day at Macy's. Head over to macy's.com forward slash FOW to find all of my favorite items. Next question is what metrics do you think are most important when measuring the success of a campaign or post? So I kind of touched on this before. But TikTok and Instagram are two entirely different platforms and you can't measure the success of a campaign in the same way. And luckily brands are starting to catch on to that because when I worked in advertising at TikTok and we would try to onboard brands to get them to advertise, a lot of them were so focused on the conversions and TikTok is just not great for conversions. There's not a lot of great ways to track how many people purchase a product from a viral video other than maybe using a specific code that's in the caption. But if that code has been shared on other different platforms, then there's no way to know exactly how many are coming from TikTok. So for me, a successful post on TikTok means that it is hitting close to my average number of views and the comments are engaging. Obviously, it just depends on the partnership. So I saw this TikTok recently of a girl who works in PR or influencer marketing. I don't remember her name, but she said, we have to stop expecting 
paid partnership videos on TikTok to perform the same way that organic videos perform. If you think about watching television, viewers are so tuned in during the actual programmed show. So when you think about organic content that creators are putting out that is not sponsored, that is the main show. But within the main show, you have to have the fillers because the commercial breaks are how the networks make money to be able to produce the primetime show. And I thought that was a really, really great analogy because when you think about watching a commercial on TV, oftentimes you're on your phone, you're zoned out, you're not really paying attention. So it's just an interesting way to think about paid partnerships on TikTok when you see that the views are lower or the engagement is lower. Now, sometimes the posts perform really, really great, but I will say TikTok's algorithm for paid partnerships is not great. I had one video get like 500 likes, which is absolutely absurd for me. Out of 605,000 followers, I know for a fact that if that video did not have the paid partnership toggle on it, it would have performed so much better. So it definitely is discouraging and it's frustrating when you're working with brands and they have this expectation of what your metrics are for your organic content and then your paid partnership content doesn't match that. Now on Instagram, I feel like it's a lot easier to measure the success of a campaign. For me, I love looking at my Instagram metrics. Like when I do a story campaign and there is a link click on it, for example, um, I work with Dibs Beauty a lot and I'm constantly promoting new shades, new products, whatever. And I'll post the link with my code onto my story. And then when I look at the number of link clicks, I can compare the number of link clicks to the number of items sold and figure out what my actual conversion rate is. And it's just so much better to measure how much revenue was created from a campaign. I would say Instagram is better for conversion campaigns and TikTok is better for reach and just overall awareness. But if your business just wants to get its word out and just wants people to know about it, then TikTok is great because on Instagram, your reach is limited to the people that already follow you versus on TikTok, anything could go viral. Like you have no idea. So you may end up outperforming the metrics that the brand thought you were gonna have, which has happened a lot. And that's always really exciting. Next question is, how do you negotiate fair compensation for sponsored content? So like I said, when I started creating content and making money from social media, I was negotiating all of my own deals and I was just throwing numbers out there. Like I truly had no idea. I would Google how much should I charge for an Instagram story and I would plug in my numbers. I would plug in my account and this little generator on Google would tell me and it ended up being like $125 or something. Like I swear if I did my metrics right now, it'd probably tell me like $500 maybe And so those generators online, those are not accurate. If I have any advice for you, don't use those. You will sell yourself so short. There's a couple things to keep in mind when negotiating your price for content. Number one being, what are the deliverables? Is it one TikTok, one Instagram in feed, three story frames? Do you need to have a link in bio for a certain number of days? Are they paying for usage rights? Oh my God, if they're not paying for usage rights to use your content as an ad, then you should really, really renegotiate that. Just think about it. If someone pays you, let's say Walmart pays you $500 to make a video for them, and then they blast that video all over everything, like Pinterest, Google search, Facebook, Instagram, and it is their top performing ad. Let's say they put like $100,000 into the ad just to put it all across these platforms, and they've ended up generating, let's say, 
$250,000 in revenue, you deserve to be compensated for your likelihood, your face, your content to be used in anything that they could potentially benefit from in revenue. So definitely charge for usage rights. You can also charge for exclusivity. This is pretty common if you're working in an industry like beauty, for example, and you're doing an ad for one foundation company and they don't want you to do an ad with any other foundation companies for a week. They would need to pay for that exclusivity because they are essentially limiting the money that you can make from a different partnership. So I am now managed by J1S. They're my talent agency and they negotiate all of my rates. They are incredible. I signed to them in spring of 2021. And at the time, I believe I had around 150, maybe 170,000 followers on TikTok. On Instagram, I want to say I had around like 12,000. They reached out to me the summer before, actually, when I had 70,000 followers on TikTok. And I had a meeting with them. But at the time, I just wasn't really looking to be serious about doing social media. And it wasn't until I started negotiating my own contracts and I started getting so hung up on it because I'm like, dang, this is time consuming to go through contracts and read it to make sure you're not being like exploited and to make sure you're following everything legally. And so I, I talked with them again, signed to them in the spring and I've been with them ever since. So they negotiate everything for me. But if you don't have management, you should go to Clara for Creators. The founder of it, was actually on my podcast last year. Her name is Kristen. And basically Clara for Creators is like a Glassdoor, but for influencers. So you know how you can go on Glassdoor and you can find people's salaries. You can find information about their interviews and people will give a rating for their employer. Well, it's the exact same idea, but it's for brand partners. So you can go on there, create a profile, say how many followers you have, say your engagement rate, and then you can rate brand partners that you've worked with. So you can say how, what your deliverables were, how much you charged, if they were easy or difficult to work with. And so let's say, for example, you're working with Bloom. I could go on to Clara right now and look up Bloom and I could find every single creator's review of Bloom. I want to know how much fucking money they're paying because I swear every single person on my For You page is chugging Bloom every day. I'm like, Girl, you know that there's like really not a lot of greens in there at all. I mean, it's fine though. If they're running you a check, I would do it too. They have to have big bucks if they're paying Alex Earl to make as many videos as she does though. So anyways, that's a really great way to find out what you should be charging to specific brands because there's specific brands that have much larger budgets than other brands. If you're working with a huge corporation like Walmart, Amazon, you know that they have a much larger budget than some of these newer, more startup brands. Oh my gosh, we've already been recording for quite a bit of time. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. I get so excited when I talk about the business of being an influencer because I love being transparent, A. And B, I feel like this truly is valuable. And C, I don't think enough people talk about it enough. Like there's so much gatekeeping. So the next question is, how do you navigate the legal aspects of influencer marketing, like contracts and intellectual property? So like I said, I have management and luckily their agency, they have lawyers. So they'll look over all of my contracts and with fun on weekdays specifically, we filed for a trademark when I filed the LLC. And so with the trademark, it's still pending. I don't have the full certificate for it yet, 
but we filed for the rights for merchandise and I think a couple other things to hopefully protect myself from companies that try to rip me off, which has definitely happened. When I came out with merch last year, if you just Google search Fun on Weekdays merch, you will find loads and loads of knockoffs on Redbubble. And unfortunately, there's like not really anything I can do. I've reached out to Redbubble. Um, I've tried to report the pages. I know a ton of you guys have tried to report it too. And so since I don't own the trademark yet and it's still being processed, I don't think there's technically anything I can do about the IP. And then with contracts too, I have a tendency to just receive a contract via DocuSign. I'll scroll to the bottom. I check yes, I sign it and I am off on my way. But I think it's really important that if you are skimming through your contracts, you have somebody in your corner that is going through them so specifically looking for things like exclusivity or usage rights or timelines or like the number of days that they're allowed to pay you after you complete the job. So we've had to redline contracts before to make sure that the contract is fair for both me and the partner. But I don't do that because honestly, I don't know too much about it. So I'm really lucky that I have a team that can help me. Next one, how do you handle setting up your business and tracking finances? Do you use a CPA? Okay, so when I started making money from creating content, I was never making more than like $1,000. So typically when I was paid, it would be like via PayPal or Venmo or like a wire transfer. And I wasn't really being sent any 1099s from the companies that were paying me. Legally, I don't know if that is correct or not, but it wasn't until I started making more than I think like $600 per partnership that I would be sent like a 1099 form um, at the end of the year to then pay the taxes on what they paid me. Because remember, if you get paid $600 for a campaign and the brand sends you 600, the taxes aren't taken out yet. So up until July of 2021, when I decided that I was going to quit my corporate job, I was having all of my invoices paid to me directly as personal income. However, I do not recommend doing that because you will be taxed higher for personal income than you would be as a small business income. So we filed two LLCs. We have Jenna Palak LLC, and all of the invoices that are paid to this are TikTok ads, Instagram ads, event appearances, things that are like personal to me and my personal socials. Then on the other side, we have Fun on Weekdays LLC. Under Fun on Weekdays LLC, all of my Shopify invoices, my Eventbrite ticket sales, my podcast sponsorship, anything fun on weekdays related that I make money on is all sent to this. So you can see Jenna Palak, fun on weekdays. Under both of those, I have two separate bank accounts. I have a personal Jenna Palak LLC account and I have a business Jenna Palak LLC account. Under fun on weekdays, I have the business checking account and the business savings account. And I also have a savings account on this side too. Gosh, I had to pull up my Chase app. So it was really important to split the revenue from each side because as a creator, like you're not making a predetermined salary. You're making invoices here and there from this platform, that platform, from this brand, another brand. And so at the end of the year, my management will itemize every single invoice that I was paid for the year. And instead of me having to file taxes on every single individual one, they create it all into just one compiled list and one total for my income for Jenna Palak and for 
fun on weekdays. I do have a CPA. His name is Ryan. He is so incredible. And I call him with any questions that I ever have about filing taxes or certain ways that I should structure my business when it comes to like employees or salary, things like that. So I was connected to him through my management agency. He doesn't typically work with people like one-on-one. He works with larger businesses, but because I'm part of the J1S ecosystem, he works with me. So super amazing. I'm like so grateful to have him. Recently, I hired two people full-time under Fun on Weekdays LLC. So then to also help save money on taxes, I hired myself as an employee. So it's kind of weird because I pay myself a salary from this LLC, which gets deposited into my personal account. It's it's so weird, honestly. I think I actually have three accounts because I have the two LLCs accounts and then I have just like my personal, personal account. So I am an employee of Fun on Weekdays and then I have two full-time employees. The next question was, what do you do for benefits such as health insurance or 401k as a creator? So obviously creators are self-employed and because of that, you don't have the corporate benefits of health insurance or 401k. But for fun on weekdays, because I am a small business, technically I have two small businesses. Remember Jenna Palak LLC and fun on weekdays LLC, two small businesses. I got connected with ADP small business to set up payroll for myself and my two employees. And I knew that when I wanted to hire people to eventually expand my team, I didn't want to do that until I could provide all of the benefits that a normal corporate job could. And that's something that I'm really, really proud to offer is I offer health insurance through my own plan on fun on weekdays. We have three different options that our employees can choose from. And that includes Hallie and Gabby and my contract workers as well. So um, Aaron, my sister, and then also Liv, who edits my podcast. Hey girl, you're listening to this as you're editing. So they also had the opportunity to sign up for my healthcare as well. And because I hired myself as an employee, I can also sign up for that, which on top of that, I also have a 401k, which is really cool. I contribute to my own 401k. So it's weird because as an employee or sorry, as an employer, I match um, their contribution to their 401k. So depending on the percentage that you put into it, I match my own money, which is kind of weird to think about, but I'm really proud that I'm able to offer that to Hallie and Gabby because just working in the social media industry, a lot of our lives are pretty like inconsistent. Paychecks are inconsistent in terms of my invoices, but their paychecks are always consistent from me. So I pay them and myself biweekly and I set it up through ADP. It's really not that hard. I feel like people constantly make excuses for why they don't know how to do something, but it's like, girl, Google it. Like you can Google literally anything. There is a YouTube video for everything. There's probably a TikTok about everything. All it took was me talking to a couple different places to figure out where to set up my payroll. I had quite a few meetings with them to talk through how to set that up. Then I got connected to a health insurance provider. So mine is through Blue Shield, sorry, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I spoke with them to figure out which three options I wanted to offer to my employees. And then I set up the 401k. Like it's not that hard. And if you tell yourself it's that hard, you're truly gonna believe that you can't do it, but you can. And honestly, for me, learning about finances and the structure 
of a business has been like so empowering and it's become something that I am passionate about because it's a really empowering tool that you can use for the rest of your life. And it really sets the tone of like your success. So if you are a creator and you are making any amount of income from social media and you're filing taxes as your personal income, I highly suggest that you file an LLC. It can literally be your name and then LLC. It is so cheap to file an LLC. I think it's like as low as I want to say $200. And then I think it's as high as like $500 or something like that. Literally just Google file for an LLC. From there, every invoice that you get, you should have it sent to that LLC. You should also go to your bank and set up a business account for that LLC to keep it separate from your personal finances. So then at the end of the year, when you file your taxes, you file as a small business, not as personal. Okay, next question is, how do you stay relevant and keep up with the ever-changing social media landscape? That is a really good question um, because I feel like every day there's a new trend. And when I'm in a little bit of a creative rut and I don't know what to do, following the trends is definitely the easiest thing to do. But then when I think about how I started my platform, it was never really by like doing trending audios or trending dances. It was just by simply talking and doing random shit. So there's definitely a lot of pressure. I mean, there's so many quote unquote social media gurus out there that will try to sell you a course on how to go viral, but no one can tell you how to go viral. So in terms of keeping up with the content, I feel like you just kind of have to put your blinders on and only think about yourself. And that's something that I am continuing to try to tell myself to do and make content for your followers, make content for yourself and what you have fun doing. And naturally you'll start to find your people. But in terms of keeping up with the apps and everything, gosh, I don't know. I can't keep up. Like I literally can't. I do the podcast. I have Instagram and TikTok and I'm maxed out. I have my Facebook groups. I have my group me's. Um, I don't really do YouTube. My podcasts are on YouTube, but I don't put any effort into growing our YouTube channel. I really don't even promote the YouTube channel at all. I don't do shorts. I don't do really any of that. So it's hard because there are a million different things that you could do. It's like, where do I invest the bulk of my time though? Because if you're splitting up all of your time onto all of these different platforms, it's going to be so much harder to grow than to just invest all of your time into one platform that you truly love and try to grow that one. Because then over time, seamlessly, like, that community, if you create it, is going to follow you over to the other platforms, which will make it easier to keep up to date with them. Next question, how do you create content that appeals to brands while still staying true to your personal brand? So one of my pet peeves is when a brand will be like, oh my gosh, we want to work with you. We love your content and your authenticity. You have full creative freedom. And then you go to send them the video that you created and they're like, actually, no, can you do this? And then they just completely change the landscape of what the video is. And then they'll send you like a specific brief or a specific script or specific text overlays. And I'm like, at this point, this was not in the contract of like all of these specific things. So it can be really frustrating when you've already signed a contract you're already obligated to complete the partnership, but you feel as though your voice and your personality has been taken out of the video. I've definitely had, I've definitely had videos that I have felt that way about that. And there's not really anything I can do because the brand is happy. They're getting what they want until I post it and it doesn't perform well. And then they're like, well, what happened? And then they're all like disappointed about the metrics. And I'm like, because that's not my style. Like that's not me. I think brands have started to, do a better job of understanding that you just have to let go of your creative control and just let influencers do their thing because 
I know my audience best, but sometimes you do kind of have to compromise because once you've already signed a contract, you are obligated to deliver that content to the brand. There have been some contracts that I have pulled out from because I've been like, I'm not redoing this. If you don't like the way that I did it, then that's perfectly okay, but I don't want to change my content entirely because it just doesn't feel like me. And that's going to show like my audience is going to feel that. And it's kind of embarrassing. What can you write off as an influencer? Everyone seems to think that influencers can just write off anything and you just don't have to pay for it. I feel like people don't realize that when you write something off, you still have to pay for it. <laughs> you just don't have to pay as expensive of taxes. So as an influencer, I can have different write-offs depending on which LLC we're talking about. So for Jenna Palak, things like me flying to Dallas for this creator conference that they asked me to speak at, I could write that off. A hotel stay for that conference, my outfit or my hair and makeup for that, you can write that off. You can technically write off anything that has helped you create content, whether that is this microphone or a camera or like your cell phone bill. Also, if you film your videos in your apartment, you can write off a portion of your apartment space where you film the videos. You would take that square footage and you would figure out the rate of like what your rent typically is, how much that space would cost, and you can write it off. But that doesn't mean that you don't still have to pay for it. You definitely do. Basically, what happens is that at the end of the year, let's say that you made $500,000 from brand partnerships. That's your overall income without taxes, okay? Okay. So if you didn't have any write-offs, then you would get taxed on $500,000. But if you spent $200,000 towards hiring an editor, um, equipment, traveling, a CPA, then your actual income would be $300,000. So you would be taxed a lot less. You would owe a lot less if you were taxed at $300,000 versus $500,000. Obviously, those are like very high numbers, but just... For an example. So people seem to think that you can write off anything. Um, like you're going out for dinner and people are like, oh, it's on you, right? It's a write-off. I'm like, that's not really how it works. Um, some people definitely take advantage of it, but it's so hard to track your finances unless you are weekly going in and tracking every single finance. Like it's hard to remember at the end of the year, if you're looking back at your spend in February of last year, like, oh, this restaurant, was this on a work trip? Or was this just out with a friend? Now for Jenna Palak LLC, I can write off my office rent, all of the furniture that is in here, all of the equipment, my computer. Um, I have employees, so that is a tax benefit. I also offer health insurance and 401k, so that's a health, that's a tax benefit as well. Any charitable donations that you make as a company, you obviously write that off as well because you don't own that money. Like you don't have that. That's not income. Um, that's an expense. I also write off anything like venues, anything event related. And I spend a ton of fucking money on events like decorations, backdrops, bags for gift bags, an Uber to get to the event. All of those different types of things you can write off. But you have to be really diligent about keeping track because the IRS has kind of caught on to the fact that influencers are being gifted a ton of shit that they're not writing off or like trips or whatever it may be. So you can't just bullshit a number <laughs> because especially if you hit a certain threshold and you are making a significant amount of money, then you're going to have like more eyes on you. So you want your write-offs to be as accurate as possible because if they come to you and they're like, what is this $500 for? And it has nothing to do with work, then like you would, 
I, I guess I don't really know what would happen. <laughs> would the IRS actually show up? I don't know. But a lot of people are like, what happens with gifting with PR? Like, do you have to write that off as taxes? You have to pay taxes on that and claim it as an income. But technically, unless the brand that sent it to you sends you a 1099 at the end of the year, basically telling you that you have to claim taxes on it, then there's not really any like evidence of it. Like that's on the brand that gifted it then. So for example, for Anthropology, when they furnished my apartment last year, they sent me, is it a 1099 or a W-2? I'm getting myself all confused here. It's one of the two, but they sent me basically the amount that the furniture cost I had to claim as income. So I had to pay taxes on that. For Revolve, for example, these people will make like, let's say Revolve gives you $1,500 a month and people are like, oh my God, free clothes. Like this is awesome. You get free gifting. Okay, but at the end of the year, Revolve is going to send you a thing that's going to say that you have to claim $18,000 worth of income and you have to pay taxes on that. So you just have to be careful. For brand trips, I've never been given like a 1099 or anything from that. I would just go ahead and assume that the brand that is sending you is also going to pay the taxes on top of that. But that's just being hopeful, I guess. It's still relatively a new industry. So I feel like there's going to be new regulations and rules around PR gifting and brand trips and stuff in the upcoming years as it just continues to grow. Just a couple more questions here. How do you deal with burnout or creative blocks in content creation? So I was having horrible burnout last summer and the burnout was kind of a reflection of my own insecurity because I would have ideas for videos and then I would film it but then I would watch it back and I would be so in my head of like, this is stupid. This isn't going to perform well. And so I would delete it. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I need to post something. But you kind of feel like you've exhausted all of your ideas or you've done everything that you have in your mind. And you feel this pressure to like have your videos perform well or to do something original. So burnout is definitely a thing. After last summer, in August, I did this huge festival event and I ended up taking a couple months off and I actually got to this point where I was like, I feel so lost, so unfulfilled with social media. I feel like I'm just not doing anything. Like what is my purpose other than posting ads online? Like there has to be more. And so I kind of took a bit of a break to just rediscover my own personal passions. And at the beginning of this year, I just did like a 180. But as I found more confidence in myself, I no longer had that creative burnout. I was actually excited to create content again because I was just a lot, ha I'm just a lot happier as a person now. I think we're constantly told that you have to post a certain amount of times per day, per week. And then we get in our head about constantly having to whip out content that a lot of times we don't create quality content. But I guess if I look at my track record, my content has ne never necessarily been like a high produced quality creation. A lot of times it's impulsive videos in my car or a random thought or what I'm doing for the night or an outfit. So I have to remind myself again that like, I just don't need to put so much pressure on myself. And if you need to take a break, that's perfectly okay. Like people are gonna be there waiting for you when you're ready to come back. How do you stay organized and manage your time as an influencer? So between my two LLCs, we have a couple different Monday boards that helps us organize all of our tasks and due dates and contracts and all of our like information that we need to know. If you're not familiar with Monday, it's a task management website, monday.com. Highly recommend you use it. I've also used um, Athena. That's what I used to use when I worked at TikTok, but I like Monday a lot better. So every time I have a new brand partner, we'll put the name of the brand 
in my Monday board. Then we'll put the content due date, the content live date. Within that line, we'll click into it and we'll add additional details in the description, such as a link to the creative brief or a link to other examples. And then it will also link the contract as well. So that's a really good way to see all of my brand partnerships itemized. But then on the fun on weekdays side, I have a very similar board for my episodes. So we can plan out, okay, this episode is going to go live next week. Here is the recording date. Here is the live date. This is the guest. Here is the episode title and description, the link to it. And so the podcast in itself is one board. And so I'll upload all of my files into that and then I'll share it with my editor, Liv. And I need to be a lot better about keeping up with it like daily because I'll have days where I don't update it constantly. And then I'll have days where I like update everything all at once. So I could definitely do a better job of being consistent with it. But then we have our fun on weekdays social board. So the social board includes everything from events and Instagram posts, as well as the newsletter. So my entire team is on this board and we create different tasks. So for example, my sister Erin, who helps me with the newsletter, every week there will be newsletter number 15, week of May 15th, let's just say. Under that, there will be a bunch of different tasks, such as what is the blog topic of the week? What is the upcoming event that you want to link to? What is the fun weekday idea of the week? What is the community highlight? What is this week's podcast episode description and thumbnail? And so all of those tasks will be itemized under that one top task. And it's so easy to use because anytime anyone updates in it, the person who's tagged on that project then gets an update. So we can all be updated on it without having to like text each other every other minute because Aaron doesn't live here. Um, live, my editor doesn't live in Austin. And whenever we work from home, like it's just a really great way to communicate with the whole team and for everyone to have visibility and where we're at. So then on the event side of things, then we would have a tag item for, let's say, Chicago event. Under that, we would have venue contract, Eventbrite link, social posts for the Instagram infeed or Instagram stories and the Eventbrite flyer. Under that, we'll have a list of all of the vendors. We would have like an event layout of the map of the venue. We would have our budgeting sheet linked to that. And so it's just a really great way to organize literally everything. And then all within Monday, I can switch between which tab. The last question that I wanted to answer is how do you balance your personal life with your online brand? Okay, well, the interesting thing about my online brand is that it's all about having fun on weekdays outside of work. But When you think about my scope of work, it is literally creating content. So after I leave my fun on weekdays office, if I am actually going to go do something fun after work, I am typically making content out of what I'm doing, which in my mind is like a little bit hypocritical because I'm telling you to like go do something fun after work, but my work is being on my phone. But then when I unplug and I'm not on my phone creating content of what I'm doing, it's like, well, this is what I have to share is like what I'm doing after work every day. So it is a double-ended sword, but I would say it's not hard to balance the two because my online brand is exactly who I am in person. They are just so cohesive. So I've never felt like I really need to like shut one thing off and then like go live a double life. But for that reason, it's really hard to find balance between the two because there are certain instances when I do need to turn off. Like on my date nights with Connor, I don't make videos about date nights. That is time for just us 
to be together, to be present, to be in my personal life. And then sometimes I find myself feeling guilty, like, oh, I should really make a video about this. But then when I remind myself that making a video is work related, I'm like, okay, no, I don't need to. I have another opportunity to tomorrow when I hang out with my girlfriends. So I've done a much better job of reminding myself that my life, I don't need to film everything that I'm ever doing. My entire life does not need to be content, but sometimes I just want to share. So I answered a lot of questions about the business of being a creator slash influencer, whatever you want to call us these days. And I really hope that this was valuable to you in some way, whether you are wanting to get into content creation or you work in UGC or you work on the brand side, or maybe you just found this interesting. So if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave me a review, whether you are listening on Apple or Spotify or you're on YouTube. Share this episode with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter to hear more about our upcoming events, and join our Facebook community page. We connect girls in all different cities across the entire country, including Canada and some other countries as well. We have city-specific group me's, and we are constantly doing something. So keep up with everything at the links in the episode description. And that's the end of this week's episode. Bye, guys. Talk to you next Tuesday. (laughs) 